Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. From WNYC Radio, I'm Kai Wright. Good evening. And I'm John Perdo from The Economist. We are hosts for this first night of a brand new show called Indivisible. We are live on over 130 stations around the country. We're going to be here Monday through Thursday every night for the first 100 days of the new presidency, talking with and listening to you. This is unedited, unvarnished, live radio, and we're super excited to try it out with you. There will be a rotating cast of hosts, but we all have the same mission, to bring all of you together in a conversation about who we are as a nation and who we want to be. And that means we need to hear from all of you. No matter where you're from or who you voted for, we need to hear from you. So call us up right now. The number is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. So this was the first full business day of the Trump era, but things are already happening fast. There was the inaugural address, the women's marches around the country, a ton of executive orders. So listeners, does the world feel different from where you sit yet? Call us up, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. We especially want to hear from you if you attended either the inauguration or the women's marches on Saturday in Washington or wherever you are in the country. Tell us why you went to either event and how you felt about being there. 844-745-TALK. And John, you were in Washington at both the inauguration and the women's march. Let's start with the inauguration. What struck you about it? Well, the first thing that struck me is it's really a moment when all the pageantry of the presidency is on show. I was sitting with other journalists just below where the new president was sworn in, right next to the Marine Band as they ran through tunes like America the Beautiful and Hail to the Chief. And during the campaign, it's kind of hard to imagine either candidate standing outside the Capitol with all the flags and all the members of Congress and the Supreme Court. And then there one of them is up there and suddenly the country has a new president. The other thing that struck me, I suppose, was the speech, which was so different in tone from the speeches made by other Republican presidents in their inaugural addresses. So let's hear a bit of that speech, which people have already been talking about a lot. Mothers and children trapped in poverty in our inner cities, rusted out factories scattered like tombstones across the landscape of our nation, an education system flush with cash but which leaves our young and beautiful students deprived of all knowledge. And the crime, and the gangs, and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. (laughs) 
So it's funny on either side of the divide that Trump's presidency has opened up or, you know, I guess maybe just really revealed. People seem to think these are uniquely dark times. And certainly a lot of people feel like his victory is a low low moment in our politics. But as you can hear, Trump also thinks we are at a low moment. So I'm particularly curious to hear from Trump supporters right now. Does the world look as bleak as he described it in his inaugural address in your community, your family, your block, your city, however you want to look at it? What specifically is the American carnage you're seeing? Or if you marched on Saturday, was it because you felt like these are particularly dark times? Call us up, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And we are going to start with Dan in Pittsburgh. Dan, welcome to Indivisible. Thanks. And what what was your experience uh, my experience, I just came, uh, I was in D.C. over the weekend, and I went to uh, the, the concert and the inauguration, and then I went to the Women's March. Um, and I, you know, I just kind of wanted to see uh, for myself, uh, you know, what what was going on. And to be honest, it was very, uh, I didn't see any, you know, jackboots or skinheads or Confederate flags. I didn't see very many American flags. It was like red hats on one day and pink hats on another. Um But, uh, you know, my observation is that, you know, I think really uh, smartphones uh, specifically, but, I mean, social media in general, I mean, that's the biggest change to me. You know, if if things feel different, it's because of of the the role that those are playing in our lives and and have come to play in our lives recently. Uh, And it all has happened very fast. And, you know, three or four of the top five uh, companies in the world right now by market valuation are tech companies. Um, And it just seems like... That, that that happened very fast. And, uh, yeah, sorry, you were going to say. Yeah, can I ask you, you said you didn't see any skinheads or jackboots. Is that genuinely what you expected to see? Well, no, but, I, you know, I was kind of looking for are, are, is, are, there, are, are people ready for kind of an authoritarian movement? Is there like a, you know, Nuremberg-esque uh, nationalism? And, 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 and I didn't feel that. You know, I, I, there were some USA chants, but there were, you know, no, I didn't hear any locker-up chants. I didn't hear any... Uh, you know, build the wall chance either. I mean, uh, you know, the Trump supporters in their in the happiness of winning seem to have uh, seem to have kind of let let some of that you know let let some of that fur uh, like go by the wayside. And and you know, I I'm I, they seem generally happy to talk to me. And and you know, I don't I wasn't presenting as a Trump supporter. Got it. Well, thanks for that, Dan. I, I want to go to Brittany in Philadelphia. Hi, Brittany. You. I'm well. How? What was your experience this weekend, Brittany? Well, I was at the D.C. march, and um, it was amazing. I went with three generations of women, and our men came too. Uh, we saw one of the things that I was really heartened by was um, we were actually in front of the Trump Hotel in D.C., and people were putting down their signs, you know, give them a direct message. And there was a lot of police presence there, of course, for security. They came through with their sirens on and almost kind of like saying, you go, girl, to everyone that was there. And everyone immediately applauded them and came up to their bands and said thank you. It was just, I was, that was one of the best things that I saw at the, the march. So this solidarity between the protesters or the ralliers and law enforcement, which is also kind of unexpected. Uh, well, not unexpected, but it certainly defies the, the, the idea of the protest that, that some had. 
Yeah, I so mean, Brittany, put women in charge of march, and that's what happens. Millions of people around the world gather, and I haven't heard a single incident of violence. So, Brittany, I was walking around at the march in D.C. Uh, on Saturday talking to people as well. And I have to say, I found the experience kind of chaotic in a pleasant sort of way. Most of the people I talked to didn't really know where they were going. They didn't really, they weren't really so interested in hearing many of the speakers who were talking. I ran into a lot of families who were, you know, dads out with their wives and daughters. Lots of mothers took their kids along. It was a very friendly crowd, right? Yeah, it was, I admit, it was very chaotic because I think they were not expecting so many people to show up. I did find one organizer in the yellow vest that was like, you can go this way if you would like to march with the main march, but really he's kind of taken over all of D.C., so just feel free to mill about. Like, I really was looking forward to seeing Gloria Steinem, but I, I couldn't even get anywhere near the stage. It was too fast. Brittany, quickly before we let you go, why did you go to the march? Uh, it was just, it was cathartic for me. I immediately was in in despair when I found out that she was elected, and we kind of bought the tickets right then after um, I heard about the march. And uh, we weren't sure if we were going to go to protest the inauguration or the march, but I, I decided that I didn't want to face any violence, and I figured I'd have a better chance of um, being at a peaceful protest if I was there for the Women's March. Okay, well, thank you, Brittany. Uh, let's go to JR in Pittsburgh. JR, welcome to Indivisible. JR, are you there with us? Hello, yes, I'm here. I had to unmute my phone. Thank you, Indivisible, for having me on, and thank you for the public service you're doing. Well, you're welcome. What, what, what was your experience this weekend? My experience in D.C. this weekend was horrible. I had an awful time in D.C. as a Trump supporter and an American. Um, the proceedings of the inauguration and all other events that occurred this weekend um, were chaotic, like the, one of the previous callers had said, and um, overall a very negative um, and discouraging experience. And what about it was negative? Why, can you be more, a little more specific about what it is that well, turned you off? Most, most certainly. And may I preface what I'm about to say with, as a Trump supporter and an American and somebody who wants to participate in the civil discourse, I must urge that we perceive its facts and we call each other out and we um, and we absolutely deal in things that are realities. Um, with that said, um, things that happened this weekend that discouraged me as an American um, are simply summed up in the reality that the political demonstration um, was nothing more than a cathartic um, a cathartic and negative um, expulsion from a, whatever percentage of our um, American electorate. It was a cathartic release of their negativity, their despair at the loss of their candidate, and their dissatisfaction with the election, um, much that we feared when we spoke about the illegitimacy, the rigged system, and everything along the campaign trail. Um, as a political organizer by profession, it was disappointing to see a, such a wide-scale, unilateral political action taken against um, what was supposed to be a very honorable, what I consider to be a very honorable and historic weekend. Um, and my, I also close with, I was supposed to attend the march on Saturday, um, but Friday's demonstrations, when I tried to proceed through the inaugural um, event, um, were so disruptive and so discouraging. 
um, that there was absolutely no way I could even join my fellow citizens that next morning, Saturday morning, in what turned out to be a very wonderful demonstration of their point of view. Um, again, thank you, Indivisible, for having me on, and God bless America. Well, thank you, JR. Let, let's go to Michael in Somerville. Somerville, North Carolina. How you doing, Michael? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm well. That's good. Um, yeah, I would just like to say that uh, taxation is theft and government is slavery. And the fact is that people need to learn how to take, respond, take responsibility for their own lives and stop looking to political leaders to try to make their lives better. So did you, did you attend the inauguration or any of the marches or anything this, over this past weekend, Michael? Uh, yeah, and I feel like um, political action or like any kind of uh, protesting is completely – it doesn't have any results. In the, in the long run, it's just a bunch of people walking around with signs. It doesn't achieve any political gains or anything like that. And um, the true way to enact any kind of reform is to subvert the government. Okay. So, well, I thank you for that, Michael. Um, we're going to go now to one more. And then, I, and then, then John, I want to ask you something about, uh, about the global view here. But first, let's hear from Hassan in Levittown, Pennsylvania. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I wanted to uh, share the view of, of some Muslim Americans that uh, are part of my social circle. We actually have an alumni group of uh, President Trump's alma mater, uh, and most of us are in the age group where we were in school with uh, two of the Trump children. And what I was scared by was the fact that these lawyers, doctors, successful businessmen were seriously talking about, is this country a place where we want to raise our kids? Is this, and these are patriotic Americans that are very successful that you know represent the american dream and that they were seriously thinking about you know do i want to move to a different country uh, and that paranoia i think is, is across the muslim community uh, but what i saw on television and in the media as part of the women's march in particular was that average americans even people that uh, you know are on my on my facebook feed were talking to Muslim Americans and saying that this country is as much yours as it is mine, that, this, that there's a place for Muslims in Trump's America. Uh, I don't know how the next four years are going to shape up, but I think that as a Muslim American, I am proud of the systems and my fellow Americans, and I believe and I hope that they will make it possible for Muslims to not just be in this country, but to prosper and contribute to our community. So, Hassan, I take it you, you weren't at either the march or the inauguration, but you watched them. What... Tell me about both. Your, you, you said that watching the march made you feel it sort of brought down the level of paranoia. What about watching the inauguration? We've also heard some callers say that it was, you know, a, a, a much more calm and, and, and inclusive uh, experience than they expected. Uh, what was your, your experience watching it, at least? I'll tell you one part that really touched me emotionally, and it was that American flags were being handed out for women to wear as, as headscarves or the hijab, and that these were worn not just by Muslim American women, but, you know, average Americans showing their, their belief in the greatness of America by donning the American flag as a hijab. That, to me, was a, a sign of solidarity from, uh, you know, the mainstream Americans saying that Muslim Americans have a place in America. But what about the inauguration? I mean, it sounds like you're talking about the, the march, but, but watching the inauguration, did you, what were your, your feelings watching that? Yeah, I, I wish that there was a little bit more of an inclusive message. Um, I didn't hear one, but then on the flip side, I didn't hear a message out of saying that 
uh, you know, the ban on Muslim immigration was going to come into place or the, or that the uh, Muslim registry was going to be enforced. So nothing, unfortunately, that I heard that was very encouraging, but then on the flip side, nothing that, you know, scared me either. Not yet, at least. Okay, well, thank you for that, Hassan. Uh, John, so, you know, a, a, a pretty broad cross-section of reactions there right off the top to, to what we saw this weekend. What about the global view? Let's talk about that for a second, because you're an editor at The Economist, which listeners, if you don't know, is an international news magazine. What struck you, John, from that perspective, from this global view of, of the weekend's activities? Yeah, so obviously what happens in the U.S. has huge implications around the world. So my ears perked up during one particular section of the speech. Let's play that clip. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. So there are several ideas crammed in there that are strange to hear from a president, really a president from either party. First, you've got the notion that foreign countries steal American companies and destroy American jobs. And that goes against a long-held consensus among economists and most mainstream politicians in America that the country benefits from trade with other countries. And then you've got the America First language, which to those who have an ear for history recalls the America First movement that campaigned to keep the country out of the Second World War. So that's been taken outside America as a sign that the country is about to withdraw from the world, rightly or wrongly. Well, I think the America First thing, though, also can be complicated because you know, I suspect for a lot of people, the, the, I, the trade does not mean something they're going to benefit, at least that they feel like they're going to benefit from. Uh, and that's certainly been a big part of the campaign. And I imagine something we're going to be talking about here on the show. I want to go to Angela in Brooklyn, who wants to add a thought about the Women's March. Angela. Hi. How are you? Um, thank you so much for having this program. I think it's great. Um, yeah, I was at the march on Saturday in D.C., and I disagree with, with one of the previous callers that marches that protest don't lead to anything. Um, I completely disagree with that. I think it does two things. One, it shows uh, – it, it motivates people. It shows um, – it gives people energy to take action, and some of those things – I've already done some of that with some friends of thank, mine. We started some Thank groups. you for that, Angela. We're going to come back. I have to interrupt you. I'm sorry. We have to go to a break, but let's keep the calls coming. The number is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. You should also be tweeting us using the hashtag IndivisibleRadio. Coming up in a minute, we're joined by Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. She's newly elected from the Seattle area and represents, well, everything Trump does not. She'll talk about how she's going to navigate Washington in her first term. You're listening to Indivisible. Stay with us.
This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. From WNYC Radio, I'm Kai Wright. And I'm John Prado from The Economist. And you're listening to the first night of a brand new show, Indivisible. We'll hear live on radio stations around the United States and online at indivisibleradio.com. And during the first 100 days of the new presidency, we'll be here with you to talk about how the world is changing. We want to hear from you no matter where you are or who you voted for. So give us a call, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And we, before we go to our guests, uh, I want to bring back Angela, who I so rudely cut off when I had to get to my break <laughs> earlier. Angela, welcome back and That's finish okay. your thought, please. Thank you. All I want to say, the second part of why protests and demonstrations are important is the, the basic reality is we live in a representational government and our Congress people want to be reelected. And showing out in huge numbers, I think, sends a very clear message about where where um, we want them to go. And so, and so, you did march this this past weekend. I did. I was in D.C. and it was amazing. As many other people have said, it was incredible. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Angela. Joining us now to take your calls is newly elected U.S. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, a Democrat representing Washington's 7th District, which is the Seattle area. Congresswoman Jayapal, welcome to Indivisible. It's so great to be with you on your first show, too. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, So part of why we asked you here is, you know, a lot of people were watching your campaign as an example of sort of the new political order that pretty much everybody thought we'd be talking about right now. You know, honestly, you kind of embody that idea. You're the first, Af- you're the first Indian American woman elected to Congress uh, at all. You're the first woman to, to represent your des- district. You're the first person of color in your state's Democratic delegation. You're a, a former community organizer, like another politician we all know. So I, <laughs> I, I want to ask you the same thing we've kind of been putting to our listeners because so I, I imagine this is a, dr- a drastically different political and cultural environment than you expected to enter. Does, does the world look like a different place to you today? It is absolutely a drastically different uh, environment than what I had hoped to be entering into. But at the same time, I think in some ways it's never been more important that people like me and, and there are others, too, are in the United States Congress because we are going to see, I think, you know, battle being done on numerous fronts, um, issues that I've worked on for years, as you know, Kai, um, from immigration to criminal justice reform to um, a number of other, you know, women's health we're seeing right now. And so it, it feels very important that I'm here in some ways, you know, maybe even more important in a strange way. So, Congresswoman, thanks for being on the show. We've been hearing from lots of different kinds of people tonight with lots of different political opinions. And we know how strongly, you know, the country disagrees over President Trump. And the day before the Women's March, uh, there were lots of people wandering around Washington in red Make America Great Again baseball caps. If your party wants to win majorities in the House and the Senate and to take the White House, then you're going to have to win over some of those people who voted for Donald Trump. How do you plan to do that? Well, that is exactly right, and especially in the minority um, and in the House minority in particular, you know, you really have very few legislative tools. The Senate has a little bit more jurisdiction and authority in the minority, but not the House. And so our main job is to win in the court of public opinion. 
And to me, that means making sure that we are letting the American people understand exactly what is going on, because what Donald Trump said and what Donald Trump does um, are two different things. As we've seen, you know, he talked about um, draining the swamp, but in fact, his cabinet appointees have combined wealth of $15 billion, and there's a lot of lobbyists in there. There's a lot of conflicts of interest. Um, and so I think we are going to have to really make it very clear what it is we are talking about, what they are doing, and what the consequences are for regular folks out there. And that's, you know, that's, I think, what we're going to have to do with the Affordable Care Act and saving health care. It's what we're going to have to do um, with a number of other, you know, looking at education and public education and Betsy DeVos's confirmation, if it happens, is really putting public education at stake. And so that's the case we have to make to the American people. And that's, I, I think, you know, that means that we may not be able to pass the big pieces of legislation. Well, we won't be able to pass the big pieces of legislation that we had hoped to pass. But we do have the opportunity to really present a different vision than what is being presented here and for people to understand that, um, you know, the things that we are voting on um, have not, are not the things that they were promised in the campaign. Listeners, we want to hear from you as well. Do you have a question for the Congresswoman? 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. Uh, and Congresswoman, we, we, we think you're going to have some opportunity to talk to, to, to make that case to some Trump supporters here for us tonight. Why don't we first go to Ricky in McKeelan, Tennessee. Ricky, am I pronouncing that correctly? Is it McKeelan? Yes, sir. M-C-E-W-E-N. All right. Well, welcome to Indivisible. What do, you, what do you have to say for us? Well, thank you for having me. Um, it just seems like the regular blue-collar worker just has it. They're just not having a say on, on how the country runs. And President Trump, it just seems like he's in sync with the blue-collar worker. But he's also in sync as far as uh, climate change. We send billions to uh, to South Korea, uh, climate change, which is a hoax. Uh, Genesis 8 and 22, if you'll remember that passage, uh, it says that we're not going to be able to change this planet or or make it last any longer at all. So that was one reason I voted for him. Uh, our manufacturing jobs are leaving this country, and nobody is, is doing anything about that, just watching them go by the wayside. And, of course, we want the Obamacare uh, to be successful, but if you don't have enough people working, how in the world can anybody afford it? Uh, not to mention abortion, uh, abortion which is really murder according to the Bible, or or, and we know that's not right. Uh, so I live in rural America, and it's time that we had a change. So Ricky, uh, a it's, big change. So for you, it's really about this combination of both jobs and culture. It's not just it's not just economics. It sounds like it sounds like you have some 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 real cultural it, questions you're concerned about, too. Yeah, it's, it's about our jobs and, and morals. Okay. It, it, it's like anything goes anymore. Uh, our police officers getting shot, and it's like that we've got a long ways to go. That's what I've heard politicians say. We've got a lot of uh, learning to do. Hey, the problem is nobody respects authority anymore. Okay, well, thank nobody you. Nobody respects authority. 
Ricky, thank you for calling. Congresswoman, someone like Ricky, what is your, how do you respond to what he has to say here? He's concerned about jobs. He's concerned about culture, both of them. How, 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 do, you, how do you talk to him? Well, thanks so much, Ricky, for your call. I think you're raising really important issues. And I think that, you know, fundamentally, I, I had, I ran in a district that is largely Democratic, but I, uh, we have a top two primary system, which means that, you know, the top two vote getters advance to the general. So that meant that two Democrats moved on. And I had a lot of Republicans, 15 or 18 percent of the district um, is Republican. And, and I had a lot of them that voted for me in part because I focused on economic issues and a place for everybody at the table. You know, we don't want things that are so different. No matter who we voted for, we want to be able to have a good job. We want to be able to have a roof over our head, food on the table. We want to be able to send our kids to college um, without mountains of debt. And we want to be able to retire after we've worked our you know, our tails off for our entire lives with some security. And so that's part of the economic message that um, I think Democrats uh, had had the upper hand on for years, and I think that clearly we did not communicate that well in this in this election. But we've also, I think, Democrats haven't been as vocal as we should have been on many issues. You know, we I was against the the TPP, um, as was Bernie Sanders, as was Donald Trump, as was Hillary Clinton, but but sandwiched between some contradictions. And so I think we need to let people like you, Ricky, know that we are working to lift up everybody in this economy. And I think then we do have to point out that you're concerned about jobs, but unfortunately, you know, what what Mr. Trump is doing, President Trump is doing, is putting people into his cabinet that have actually been against the workers for much of their careers. So the Secretary of Labor, who will be overseeing all of this um, in terms of, you know, working conditions and wages, has has actually been very vehemently against many of the things that would lift up American workers, like minimum wage. So I would just ask you, Ricky, to really keep your eye on whether you are going to get what you were promised. Because I do think that Donald Trump said a lot of things in the campaign that made it sound like he was going to be for the regular person. But I I just want us all to be looking carefully at what he is doing. And I would say Congress that not releasing his tax returns is not important because we all need to know what you know what where he gets his money. It's important because the president of the United States can't have conflicts of interest where he's trying to move his for-profit businesses forward if it's not the right thing to do for the American people. And that's why we have a constitutional clause that says that you can't have, um, you know, you can't profit from your dealings as president. So that's just another okay, thing. Okay, Congressman, I, really I think John's going to hop in here. Can I just jump in there? You were one of the members of Congress who decided to boycott the inauguration. Can you tell us why you made that decision, how you came to it? I thought about it very carefully. And what I will say is I was hoping that, that uh, President-elect Trump, that candidate Trump, would move from being what I felt was a very divisive candidate to being a unifying president. And unfortunately, that is not what we ended up seeing. What we saw was 
uh, a number of cabinet nominations that um, threatened to undermine public education, civil rights, a number of other, uh, you know, labor standards in this country, as well as continued divisive rhetoric. And so I decided that um, I needed to listen to my constituents who understand that I'm in a very different district from where Ricky is. My constituents are absolutely terrified that they are no longer going to have a place in this country, that they are no longer going to be able to stay in a country that they love and, um, you know, know as their home because of immigration policies and other um, policies that, that President-elect Trump is putting forward and his cabinet is putting forward. And so I chose to stay and do a roundtable with my constituents, um, many of them who are dreamers, undocumented immigrants, others who really fear for their lives. And I, I'll tell you, it was an amazing, amazing morning to be there and listening to the real stories of what that feels like if a child presses his face up to the window pane every day, wondering if his parents are going to come home or are going to be deported. And so it, it was very important, I think, for me to be in district and with constituents. Um, and I, to... I don't think that President Trump can have it both ways and ask people to, you know, uh, follow norms and traditions of attending the inauguration, for example, when he is not willing to actually do the same thing and release um, his tax returns and make sure that his financials and make sure that he is not in conflict right. with the very Constitution that he is standing up to, but to say he's going to protect. Let me just ask you, though, what I think part of what John was getting at there is that I think for a lot of people watching the boycott, they were like, well, OK, now we have to have Congress, though. How are you does does that reflect how you will deal with the administration and Republicans in Congress or is uh, you can't you can't just boycott Congress. Right. So so how do, how do you move forward? Yeah, and I, by the way, I, I never called it a boycott. I think Donald Trump probably uh, engineered a, a much larger boycott than than what anybody had ever planned with his Fair tweet enough. to John Lewis. And so, you know, it, I, I don't believe that the two are in contradiction at all. I felt it was my duty to be in district with my constituents, but that doesn't stop me from working with any Republican who puts out their hand and says, we actually want to talk about um, uh, working together. But compromise does not mean one side moves all the way over to the other. Compromise means that both sides talk about the principles that are important, and they find a principled place to come together on something that moves the entire country forward, recognizing that my district might be very different from somebody else's district. So that we have not seen at all. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. We, we have not had a single hearing on anything that we have voted on in the first two weeks. We voted on a budget resolution. We never had a hearing on it. So it came straight to the floor, and we almost didn't even get to propose a, a, an alternative budget. So, you know, this is not the way to go about unifying a country that clearly from the vote is deeply divided. And while President Trump did win the Electoral College. He did, he did not go in with a mandate. He got 3 million fewer votes than the other candidates. So he does have a responsibility to make sure to reach out to all of us uh, on the other side and really put forward something that allows us to work together.
I'm going to go to Austin in Columbus, Ohio, to chime in here with the congressman as well. Uh, Austin, how are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, thank all of you guys. Thank you. Um, so I uh, had to work Saturday. Didn't get to really uh, participate in any of the protests or anything. Um, I just really want to speak to how polarizing a figure Donald Trump has been, um, kind of along the lines with what the congresswoman has been saying. Uh, it seems like political discourse has been elevated to the point where um, it seems like we can't interact at all across the party lines without drawing blood. And that type of what I like to stylize uh, prideful ignorance, um, it's ignorance uh, reinforced by fear because that which is foreign to us is frightening to us, uh, which is a natural human response to the environment and a healthy one that helped us survive and adapt to the level that we have. Um, nonetheless, our founding fathers have built into the foundation of this country tools that will allow us to, if we see it necessary, um, kind of coagulate and bring our focus together and with that hopefully change the focus of the government. Uh, the humility that I feel like is a responsibility uh, for those in leadership uh, hasn't been exhibited by Trump so far. Um, I because I have friends that are Trump supporters, don't want to discredit him or disrespect him or his position. Um, but in order to get respect, you have to give it. So that's kind of the point that I'm at now is everything now today has become a political conversation. Um, we're at the point where our society is recognizing some of the flaws that are innate in how we do things. Uh, some of us are trying to be realistic about that and how complex so, the problem is. Others Austin, might be let unaware. Me just let me just jump in there quickly. It was very striking if you were in Washington for both days, as I was. You know, day one was full of people in red hats and lots of USA chants. Um, day two, you had lots of people in pink hats. The two sides don't talk to each other. Um, and I suppose right. this is what we're trying to do with Indivisible, get lots of people from either side of the divide talking to each other and hopefully finding some small things they can agree on and then progress a little bit from there. I'm going to have to interrupt both of you there and take us to the next break. Congresswoman Jayapal, thank you so much for joining us. It was lovely to have you. It was great to be on. Thank you all for doing this. We're going to go to another break, but the phone lines are still open for you. The number is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. We'll be back to talk about facts. You're listening to Indivisible. Stay with us. This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. From WNY WNYC Radio, I'm Kai Wright. And I'm John Prado. We are here live on over 130 stations around the country, and the whole point is to get all of us talking about what matters. So for this last 20 minutes tonight, I want to talk about facts. Let's start with a clip from Meet the Press over the weekend. Why did he do that? It undermines the credibility of the entire 
White House press office no, it on doesn't. day don't one. Be so, don't be so overly dramatic about it, Chuck. What it, it, you're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains Wait, alternative that facts? there's... Alternative facts for the five facts he uttered. The hey, one Chuck, thing he why, got hey, right Chuck. was Zeke Miller. Four of the five facts he uttered were just not true. Look, alternative facts are not facts. They're falsehoods. That was Chuck Todd from Meet the Press and Kellyanne Conway from the Trump White House. And I have to say, I'm pretty concerned about the facts myself, a shared set of facts. And this idea that there are alternative facts is troubling to me. But that's me. I'm a journalist, and I may be making mountains out of a molehill. So I want to hear about what you guys think. What do you think? How much does this debate over how many people were or were not at the inauguration, whether or not the what kind of facts are given out is important? Is this crucial? Give us a call, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And right off, we want to start with Brent in Raleigh, North Carolina, who is not talking about facts, but wants to tell us also about attending uh, I think you did not attend the inauguration, right, Brent? Uh, yes, sir, that's correct. Tell- yeah, so, um, and I and I will chime in on that. But I think basically the uh, the thing that's really troubling about all this is I think both sides um, of this, you know, Republicans and Democrats, have sort of gone off rails uh, ideologically. I think they've both been sort of left to their own devices um, to, to chime in on their you know respective things that that really bug them, whether it's you know social or, or uh, financial issues. And I think that the internet has really allowed them to create these echo chambers where they just sort of retreat into themselves. They find like-minded individuals and they're just able to talk amongst each other and just reinforce these biases and um, just the, their own ignorance about whatever issue. And then they, they don't have to engage with anyone when they leave. If they encounter someone who disagrees with them, they're always able to, to just retreat and find validation in the other people they've been speaking with in their respective echo chambers. And I think that's how we've gotten to this point where, personally, I find myself pretty straight down the line on, on most issues, and I've got feet in both camps. And uh, I find most of the people that I look at on you know the news that are sort of put in front of, of these issues, whether it's someone who is you know, supporting Trump and says something crazy, someone who doesn't support Trump and, and says something crazy. Uh, uh, I look at both of them and I'm just like, well, how did you get to this point? You, you don't appear to have any self-awareness about the issues that you're talking about or about the bigger picture. We're talking about, you know, someone with uh, Facebook having 71 different gender options on one side. And on the other side, we're talking about Hillary Clinton, you know, kidnapping children and in cahoots with a a pizza place. Like uh, it's just, how, how do we get to this point? Brent, let me ask um, you this. And it, it just, sure. Let me ask you this because it, I think part of what some people would say is how we got here uh, is this this sort of social media world you're you're talking about and these these people in their own echo chambers. And one of the things that that is that is profound in those echo chambers are are disputed facts. I mean, so as somebody who, as you say, you've got feet in both both camps here. How do you feel about this? Did you follow this dust up over the weekend around the number of people who were at the inauguration and this idea that the, the, the administration lied about it or didn't lie about it? Do you care about that? Yeah, it's it's been really frustrating to hear. And, and I'll say, uh, you know, being honest, I say on this one, I'm kind of 
70% in favor of the, the media on this one, but I, I do feel like um, there are some things that are being, uh, you know, taken out of context as well. Um, I, and I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that this exactly was a quote from the uh, inauguration or press event prior, but one of the most ridiculous things I saw was uh, an article touting that Trump had uh, basically quoted a supervillain uh, during a speech that he made. And I was very interested in this, uh, you know, just for amusement, really. And I looked at it, and this is an article where they picked four or five words out of something that he said, and, and not even whole words. It was a paraphrase. And they, they someone somehow had said, hey, these four words are in a speech that, that Bain made, and not even really these four words, like three out of the four are in that speech. And that just seemed really ridiculous to me to uh, attack him over that. And I think that just gives him ammunition when he turns around and says, look at these crazies, they're against me, they're looking for anything they can. It's like, well, yeah, when that's what's being you know, put forward as evidence. So then you turn around and, and you, you hear him talking about, this is the biggest you know, inauguration event ever, so many crowds, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, the, the people that support them, how can we count on them to believe anything that the rest of us are saying when that's the stuff that, that we're focusing on? Even if two out of 10 articles or something yeah. ridiculous like that. It's not doing anything but hurting our credibility. And this is something that was in like a you know top three feed on on the Facebook um, and on some other things I came across. John, it sounds like you were so, trying to hop in there. Yeah, I was. I, I agree with Brent about this. I think it's incumbent upon those who oppose Trump purely if they want to be effective to stick rigidly to the facts and not try and take words out of context and twist them. Um, the, just going back to the White House stuff, the, the, you know, the Sean Spicer press briefing, the thing I found strange about it is the row is over something so petty. You know, it's not surprising to me that Barack Obama had more people at his inauguration than Donald Trump did because Washington is a heavily Democratic-leaning town, so you know, folks didn't have very far to travel. Um, President Trump has a different power base, and most of his supporters live somewhat further away. So, you know, of course he had a smaller crowd. What was very strange was to send the White House press spokesman out to say something nonsensical and to damage his credibility with the press over over something that's so so trifling, essentially. Yeah. Brent, what, what do you think about that? That that this was why did why did this need to become a big deal in the first place? Uh, I, I think that it, it needed to become a big deal because. Both sides are so eager to find something to uh, shove in the face uh, of everybody to say, look, we were the right ones. And, I mean, it's just a it's a slap fight, for lack of a, a better phrase at this point, where it's it's just absolute chaos. What can we grab and fling, you know, at the other side? Um, and it's just absolute chaos. I mean, the uh, I, I listen to a lot of NPR. I commute about an, an hour and a half every day. And I love NPR, but I've noticed the more we have heard about Trump, the more of a, at least in my uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, WUNC, the more of a, a liberal slant it's gotten. And I've always respected, you know, everyone there for the job they've done in their unbiased news, but it's definitely gotten worse over the past year. Well, and, uh, well Brett, thank you for that. I'm going to go to Lynette in Little Rock, Arkansas, who is a Trump supporter, um, who will have her opportunity to speak on public radio. Hi, Lynette. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am well. Oh, great. Well, you know, one of the things is, is that initially in 2008, I supported Hillary Clinton. 
I was a Hillary Clinton delegate. Then when she lost, I supported Barack Obama. They sent us to walk in the area of Malden, Missouri. There in that area, they had lost a lot of their jobs. So you saw um, broken windows, storefronts, um, um, houses that were million-dollar houses no longer lived in. The companies had left. North America Free Trade Agreement helped um, do that. Also, when you look at our educational system, in Arkansas, we have um, schools within schools. Our, we were at the bottom of the um, totem pole, and we were basically a democratic state. With, at the particular time in 2008, Governor Beebe was our governor. When I looked at everything, where our society is going and where we have not taken care of our own children, then it was time to reevaluate. African Americans have always, for the most part, as a whole, um, voted as Democrats. But if you look at the whites, you don't know which way they're going to vote. If ever African Americans want more than what they're getting today, they have to stop being so predictable. Now, remember, once again, I told you I am African American. So, you know, when I look at understanding that our kids have a long way to go before they can actually accomplish their dreams, even to get a job because their foundation is broken, the Democrats, we've been a part of the Democratic Party for a long time. It has not fed us. Lynette, can I ask you? Is when you begin to give, um, when you do North America Free Trade Agreement, and then you wanted to turn around and put us on top of Trans-Pacific Partnership, that wouldn't work either. You have to begin to feed the people first. You can be, you can, so we're already, Lynette, what, let me interrupt you for a second billion here. dollars in debt? Yes, sir. Lynette, let, let me, let me ask you this. The, uh, as an African-American Trump supporter, uh, yes. I, I think a lot of, other African Americans, a lot of people in general, would want to ask you, okay, but what do you, what do you you say that the Democratic Party has 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 served African Americans poorly, but that doesn't necessarily translate into you would support Donald Trump, who a lot of people were deeply offended by him uh, and the way he talked about race both in this campaign and prior to the campaign. So what would you say to those people who would say, how can you as a black person not be offended by some of the things he said and done around race? Very easy, because, you know, it's like this. A lot of times um, we look for fault in the other party so that we will not vote for them. And we will pick out everything that you could possibly find wrong, but without looking at yourself first. So first, you must look, begin to look at yourself and see what you have received. You haven't received much. Do you know it was Bill Clinton who did the crime bill? I believe it was like 1994, 96, somewhere around there. One in every three African-American men are, um, have spent some point of their lives in jail. It was through that crime bill that um, states were paid to build prisons. You know, so when you begin to look at it point by point by point, then you begin to understand where have I been? Also, through that crime bill, that destroyed African-American families. So more families were brought up without a father. So I'm going to stop you, Lynette, so we can get some other folks in here. But I I thank you. It sounds like for Lynette, we're really talking about just a deep disappointment in what the Democratic Party has had to offer for black people for so long. 
this is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Kai Wright. Join the conversation when you're ready. Call us at 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Or tweet using the hashtag Indivisible Radio. Uh, and let's go to Ann in Skipback, Pennsylvania. Ann, how do you pronounce Skipback? Is that right? You got it right. All right. First try. How are you, Ann? I'm great. How are you tonight? I'm well. What was your experience this week? Uh, my experience this weekend was fantastic at the Women's March. Um, we were welcomed into D.C. by the very Democratic people of D.C. Um, as we walked in, we walked in from RFK, and they were thrilled to have us. They were cheering us. They were giving us water. The churches were open to us to go in and use their, their bathrooms, and they were giving us water. And the people were thanking us. The police were thanking us. The National Guard was thanking us. And um, it was an amazing experience. Locals told us um, this is nothing like they'd ever seen before. And they said certainly nothing like the day before during the inauguration. Buses park at RFK for these kinds of events. And the locals told us there was nobody here yesterday. We don't know where all the, they all came from, but they, the streets were empty. Whereas walking from RFK down to the rally point, it was a flood of people just pouring through the city. Um, so it was, it was beautiful, and it was jubilant, and um, it was heartening. Can I, ask you, I marched, and, can, yeah. I, can I ask you why you attended? Absolutely. Um, first, I mean, I, first and foremost, as a woman, I'm horrified by the things that Trump has said um, in reference to women. That's the first. But I also marched for the environment, for the Endangered Species Act, for the free press, because I believe that he is against the free press, and he threatened to throw the press corps out of the White House. I, I marched for the intelligence agencies, who he's maligned so terribly. I marched for Planned Parenthood that has given health care to so many people throughout this country. I marched for the Affordable Care Act. Now, I'll say that I myself did not buy into the Affordable Care Act. I didn't. I can't afford it. It's not the best, and I, it does need to be changed. But there are many, many people who need that. And, and can and I just I march jump them. in? Sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Can I just jump in there? We've had some callers uh, tonight who've said this march was about the side who lost in the election just making themselves feel better. What would you say to them in response? No, no. It, I did feel better, but no, it's not about feeling better. It's about participating and getting our voices heard and letting this individual know that there are a lot of people out here who disagree with the things that he's done, with the attitude that he's exhibited, and who, who believe in things that he is clearly opposed to. Well, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm going to I'm going to we've just got a few minutes left here and I want to try to get as many of our callers in as possible. So, Adam, in Brooklyn, can you chime in for us? Hi, how you doing? Uh, I, I'm just I, I'm, I can't take the like false equivalency anymore, especially and our media is totally bought into it. It's, you know. If you had an uh, argument on the news about geology, they'd, they'd have on on the other side. This guy's arguing the world is flat, and they, and and in the 
name of objectivity, you can't call someone a liar who's making things up. And, you know, I'm all for intellectual differences and argument, but you need to start from a point of reality. And Trump and all this, they, they just make things up from whole cloth and say it and get away with it. And this is, it's, it's horrifying. I can't believe that we have put a, this guy in the position of power. And I, and I really wish, I mean, you don't hear the word lie on the news ever. Adam, you what know. what would you say to um, someone like Brent who called in earlier uh, and said, you know, that he sees this as broader than just Trump, that, you know, he's he sees people in their own sort of echo chambers where they all have the, their own set of facts. Uh, he sees it on all sides of the political spectrum uh, and, and that this is about a, a more corrosive problem in our society. Uh, there is a greater corrosive problem in our country. That's true. However, I got to say, and I mean, I'm left of left, and, you know, I digest a lot of left-wing-type news. It's not it's not the same thing. I can watch Fox and can demonstrably show you the ten things that they just made up. It's, yeah, but it's not, the, I don't know, it, it's just not, it really isn't as bad on the left, I have to be honest with you. You know it happens. You have, you have bad actors everywhere in life. Humans aren't great. (laughs) Thank you for that, Adam. Uh, Thanks for calling in. John, so we're going to have plenty of opportunity to debate facts. Uh, Do you quickly in 30 seconds, what are some of the things that are coming up? Talk fast because there's quite a lot. We've already (laughs) had some executive actions from the president. Um, The global gag rule on abortion in developing countries is being reinstated. Um, It's already illegal for federal dollars to be used to provide abortions overseas, but the gag rule makes it illegal for organizations that provide contraception and also abortions to receive federal money. And since quite a lot of organizations do that, that's an important change. There have been some more symbolic yeah. actions. We'll, we'll, um, we'll so, leave yeah. it at that one. So the global gag rule uh, right. is, 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 is underway. You've been listening to Indivisible. This is a new public radio conversation airing four nights a week on stations all over the country for the first hundred days of the new administration. Tomorrow, join WNYC's Brian Lehrer. He'll talk with Fareed Zakaria, Michael Moore, and all of you. In the meantime, keep the conversation going at IndivisibleRadio.com. I'm Kai Wright with John Prado. We'll be here next week. <laughs>